All right, welcome to this week's edition of The Sword and Staff. I'm your host, Josh Robinson, and joining me today, as always, is my co-host. Richie Brock. And in today's episode, Richie and I are going to be diving into the second installment of our Spiritual Beings of the Bible series. And today in particular, we're going to discuss the topic of, get ready, aliens, UFOs, UAP, and contact with these beings. So today's episode is going to be a doozy of an episode. Uh, I have absolutely no clue how long this episode is going to take us, but uh, I'm sure that it's definitely going to be over an hour today because we have a lot of things to talk about. So uh, with that being said, make sure that you become a patron so that you can get the full uncut version of of this discussion that we're going to be having today, right? You can become a patron over at our Patreon for just five bucks a month, and you can get the Sword and Staff Uncut, which has up to 30 minutes of extra bonus content, uncut content, that you're not going to hear on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, whatever platform you're listening on. This is a Patreon exclusive that you can only get there by becoming a patron. So head over to patreon.com slash sword and staff order. Become a patron for five bucks a month. Get the full discussion that we're going to have today. And so with that out of the way, I'm just going to start. Richie, how are you feeling today, pal? Are you, you looking forward to this episode? Oh, I'm excited for this one. If yeah. there's going to be an episode that's going to get us some weird looks and in trouble, it's going to be this one. Yeah. Yeah, today's episode, I think, should be should be really interesting. There's been a lot of people excited about this episode. I've seen a lot of hype on social media about it, so it's kind of weird. This is really, what this is the third longer episode that we've done now, and like there's actually hype. People are actually like ready to to uh to hear it so that's kind of exciting to see the community that's being built for uh, you know with sword and staff so we hope oh, you yeah. guys we hope you guys are excited about today's episode as we are so so to get into to into today's topic um we're going to go back we're going to visit some of the content that we discussed in our last spiritual beings of the bible episode and if you haven't listened to that you need to go back you need to listen to it because what we said there in that episode 2 weeks ago is foundational to what we're going to say today, right? But we're going to revisit some of it in this episode. We're going to go back. We're going to examine the stories of some of the spiritual beings we've already heard about. We're going to examine their patterns and their symbolism. And then we're going to connect it all in this episode, all the way to UFOs and UAP, aliens, and all those things, perhaps in a way that you've never heard before. So with that being said, let's go back to the garden, right? Let's go back to the garden in Genesis chapter 3. So, in Genesis chapter 3, in the garden, we encounter a serpent, right? We Everybody knows this story. We've talked about it in our previous episode of Spiritual Beings of the Bible. And as we discussed last time, this spiritual being was most likely a seraphim, um, which that, that really kind of makes sense of why there would be a seraphim here. We talked about in the last episode that seraphim, cherubim, and thrones all had the, the responsibility of guarding the throne room of God, right? We learned that, that Eden was the throne room of God. So it makes sense that there would be a seraphim present in the garden. Now, um, that's interesting because whenever you um, dig into what a seraphim is in the scriptures, we actually see that a seraphim is a spiritual being. 
And it's described as being a fiery serpent, which is uh, interesting to picture in your mind. Actually, if you go and search the internet, you can see ancient depictions of what ancient peoples in the, the ancient Near East thought these beings looked like. But that, that's what the Hebrew word seraph means. It means fiery serpents. And that, that actually, I think, makes a lot of sense um, with what's going on in the garden, right? You have this serpent who is there. Adam and Eve aren't weirded out by it, right? Like they, they're not right. like, hey, who are you and, and why, why are you here? And so they're not surprised by it. And it also makes sense, I think, of why it's doing things that serpents typically don't do, like talking, reasoning, those types of things. Um, the reason why is because this is a spiritual being. This isn't just some snake um, like we've talked about before. Like this isn't some kind of pre-fall snake or anything like that. This is a spiritual being. Eden was the... Eden was the throne room of God. It is where he and his divine counsel resided. So there is a seraphim there, and we learn in Genesis 3 at the end of it that there were cherubim there as well, and they were guarding the throne of God. So so, um, so that's kind of out of the way. We're kind of rehashing this spiritual being, the serpent, the seraphim. And in the story, we see that this serpentine reptilian being does something interesting. Right, he offers human beings the opportunity to transcend their humanity. Right, yep. he tells them that if they eat of this tree, which grants the creator's knowledge, which is what the uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil grants, it grants a a special type of knowledge that is only reserved for that's only for the creator. Um, there's lots of scholars out there who talk about that. Uh, Tremper Longman in his Genesis commentary, he talks about that. There are various others as well. So if you guys are Bible nerds and you want more information on that, I would recommend you go to some of those sources and check that out. I'm not going to talk about all that here. But but that's what he offers them. He gives them an opportunity to transcend their humanity and to become like God, right? He literally says, you're going to become like God if you do this. And... So that begins an important pattern in the Bible that we need to get under our belt, right? In this pattern, we see a rebel being coming in from the fringe or the margin, right? He's not named in the the Genesis story until Genesis chapter 3, so he comes in from the fringe or the margin. And he's described as being a fiery, flying serpent being, right? And he's offering knowledge to humanity, to transcend themselves and to become like God's very important pattern. Rich, you got anything you want to say about that before we move on? Um, I think you're pretty, doing a pretty good job of summing up the background for it. But I know we're going to get into the pattern of the message that he's offering Adam and Eve there a little bit later, but yeah, yeah you're doing pretty good so far. Yeah. This is a, an archetypal type of pattern and, we're going to see this pattern uh, again now in the second story that we're going to look at, which was the story we found and discussed in Genesis chapter 6 with the sons of God and the daughters of men, right? So this is an important story to get down as well. So in Genesis 6 uh, verses 1 through 14, we learn about the story of the sons of God, uh, which we've already talked about and established in our last episode, that these are spiritual beings, right? If you if you don't know what we're talking about there, again, go back, listen to the other episode that we've already talked about. We are building on that episode. And we see that they come down and that they intermingle sexually 
with the daughters of men, and they produce giants called Nephilim. Okay, so let's think about it. In this story, we see the exact same pattern that we talked about in the last story with the serpent in Genesis chapter 3. Let's think about it. Let's meditate on this story. We see what? Rebel beings in rebellion to God. And what do they do? They come from heaven or the margin or the fringe outside of the human home. And the interesting thing is in Scripture, they're described as being fiery star-like beings, right? Genesis 1, 14 through 29, it talks about the creation of the sun, moon, and stars. We see in uh, Job 38, those stars that are created in Genesis 1, the morning stars are actually the sons of God, right? We've, we've already talked about this in the other episode. Moses, whenever he reflects upon the creation of the sun, moon, and stars in Genesis uh, chapter 2, verse 1, he talks about the entire the, the entirety of the heavens and the earth were completed, and he says, and the entire host of them, right? So he sees that as also the creation of spiritual beings as well. Um, so that's the reason why the sons of God are given star-like descriptions. Um, and we see, right, that they're rebel beings. They come from the margin, from the outside. They, like the serpent, they're also fiery star-like beings, beings. And we see also in other places in the uh, Judeo-Christian tradition that they bring knowledge to humanity to transcend themselves and to become like gods, right? Absolutely. It's the same exact pattern and the same exact story. So I'm going to actually read some of this for you guys. This comes from 1st Enoch. Um, I'm going to start in chapter 7, and I'll read on into chapter 8. Now, I want to preface this reading with, again, we are Protestant Christians. We don't think that First Enoch is Scripture, but we do see that being quoted by writers of Scripture um, in the Scriptures, right? So they were familiar with it. They were making use of it. They were referencing it. They were reading it. And because they were, we think that we ought to be familiar with it as well. So, um, so in First Enoch chapter 7 and in chapter 8, it expands upon the Genesis chapter 6 story, exactly what the sons of God were doing and some of the things that they uh, brought with them to humanity. And chapter, six, or chapter 7 says this, it says, They took for themselves women, each of them choosing a woman for themselves, and they began to go to them and to defile them. And they taught them, get this, sorcery and enchantments and cutting of roots and explained herbs to them. But those who became pregnant brought forth great giants from 3,000 cubits. These giants ate up the produce of the humans. When the humans were not able to provide for them, the giants had courage against them and ate up the humans. And they began to sin against the birds and wild animals and reptiles and fish, and each of them ate up the flesh and drank the blood. Then the earth brought up charges against the lawless ones. Aziel taught humans to make swords, weapons, shields, and breastplates, the lessons of the angels. And they showed them their mining and craftsmanship, anklets and adornment, powders and painted eyes, and all kinds of choice stones and dyeing. 
most uh, much ungodliness and prostitution happened, and they were led astray and ruined in all their ways. Semyaza taught enchantments and cutting of roots. Armoros spells of healing. Rachel taught astrology. Cochiel, the science of symptoms. Sathiel, watching the stars. Serial, the course of the moon. Therefore, the cry of the utterly destroyed people went up to heaven. So that is First Enoch chapter 7 and chapter 8. right? And so we see here in this text that these spiritual beings, these rebel beings who come from the margin and who are described as being st- as star-like beings, they bring to humanity technology, right? Information, just like we see in the first story. They teach them how to make weaponry. They teach them how to do enchantments and magic, herbology, spells of healing, astrology, right? And we also can't forget that on top of that, there's another addition to this pattern, which is sexual encounters, right? It explicitly mentions that there's prostitution happening. And then not only is there prostitution uh, prostitution happening, but it also says that they went into the daughters of men and defiled them, right? Which actually leads to the progeny uh, called the Nephilim. So, so here we see this pattern established, right? Um we, we see this in Genesis 3, and then we see it in Genesis 6. Now, I want to say this. Our contention that these the, uh, is this, that these spiritual beings behind the UFO, UAP, alien phenomena, we don't think that it's demons, contrary to popular Christian belief. Right? right? right de- like we talked about in the last episode, our spiritual beings episode, that demons are actually the product of the daughters of men and the sons of God, the Nephilim. They are the disembodied spirits of the Nephilim. Right? And we so, in a sense, demons are kind of a mixture between extraterrestrial and terrestrial beings. Right? They're, they're not exactly, like they're not created uh, by God outside of the earth they're created as a product of fallen angels and humans so so they they're not exactly extraterrestrial they they are terrestrial beings however we think that the serpent and the star beings being spoken of in the bible actually fits the bill much better in terms of the spiritual beings behind the ufo uap alien phenomena right absolutely Right? We've, we've just literally took a few moments to establish some very important patterns. Right, um, we, we see that a lot of these same patterns that we just talked about in these spiritual beings, we actually see those in UFO, UAP, alien phenomena as, as well. Um, so uh, we're going to dive into that a little bit more here in just a f- few minutes, but, but we see that that these beings that we're looking at, that they are truly extraterrestrial in the sense that they were not created on the earth. And we also see in Scripture here, in Genesis 3 and in Genesis 6, that they actually have a pattern of visiting and interacting with humanity in very, very similar ways that we're going to talk about here in a minute. So before we move, Richie, you got anything you want to add to that? Um. Not at this, not at this point. I have uh, some more to say as we go on, but okay. I think so far it's pretty good. All right, good deal. All right. Um, so, uh, all right. 
so now we'll move on to the next section. All right, so as I just said, we see the same exact patterns also manifested in UFO, UAP, alien phenomena, right? Let's, let's think about this, this phenomenon in our heads right now, right? What are UFOs like UAP? What does alien phenomena look like whenever you think about it? Well, it looks exactly the same as what we just looked at. Beings who, who come from the heavens, right, from the margin, from the fringe, and they're usually depicted in various ways, right? Sometimes they're depicted as being reptilian or serpentine. Absolutely. Sometimes they're just depicted in ancient cultures as being star people. Sometimes they're depicted as being in fiery crafts, right, etc. Luminous crafts, yep. Right, and what are the, What is it that they do? They come to bring knowledge or technology to humanity, so that they can, quote unquote, transcend themselves. Or it, there's always this type of salvation story usually accompanying this phenomenon, yeah. right? Right, and then we also see in this phenomenon as well, and this is the one of the most popular parts of it, that there's also sexual encounters with it as well. Right? Absolutely. All very frequent uh, points of connection between this phenomenon and the same exact phenomenon that we see in Genesis chapter six and in Genesis chapter three. So interesting. Okay. Now I want to say this as well. Um, we're also not the only people who have connected UFO, UAP, alien phenomena to spiritual beings, um, right? You'll you'll actually see this in the work of people such as Jacques Vallée. Um, if you've ever seen the movie uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, there is a I think it's a French it's one of my favorites. Yeah, I think like physicist or astronomer uh, in in that movie it's actually patterned off of Jacques Vallée. Um you you can also see this type of stuff in the work of uh people who were writing uh about ufology that type of stuff like John Keel. Uh Vallée, Jacques Vallée, he actually referred to these beings as interdimensional beings, meaning that they weren't merely extraterrestrials from another planet but rather that they were from another dimension or another plane. Uh, John Keel, uh, in his work, he called them ultra-terrestrials, and he said that they were able to phase in and phase out of what was called the super spectrum, or, or, or in another way, just various dimensions, very similar to what Valet's saying, right? Um, yep. And so uh, both of these people think that, um, that these beings, these interdimensional beings, or these uh, super uh, or, or ultra-terrestrials that... They think that these are the beings um, that have presented themselves to people throughout the centuries and that they've done so wearing different masks, right? So, you know, to ancient people, they, 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 they are the gods of those people, right? And if you actually go back and if you do a lot of research, uh, like if you look at depictions of the gods of Egypt and, and not just the, the gods of Egypt, but even Native Americans, some of the peoples who were scattered out from the Babel event, um, they have depictions of serpentine-looking gods, or they have stories of star people coming to visit them, right? Yep. Yeah. So um, so it's, it's interesting, um, because I think that you can actually see some of this stuff here uh, 
actually almost in our backyard in some ways. Um, there's a, 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 I don't have this on our outline to discuss, so this is just a free-flowing conversation at this point. Yeah. Um, but there is actually, uh, in Ohio, there is a huge ancient American uh, effigy mound there called the Serpent Mound. And, I mean, it's just like, so, I don't know if you guys are familiar with, with uh, you know, Native American burial mounds and that kind of thing. There's a lot of stuff that we could dive into with that. Um, that that's almost a whole episode. But uh, but there's yeah. this this big effigy one uh, in Ohio, and the interesting thing about it is it go, it goes up a mountain. So you have this serpent being um, who goes up the mountain, and then it lines up perfectly with the summer solstice, right? So yeah. you see kind of some of this stuff merging together here and some of the stuff you've you've got this depiction of like and they have they had serpent gods uh the, the native americans did um and but it's it's aligned with the stars and the interesting thing too is whenever the only way that you can see any of this type of stuff is from like way above it like you like you can't see it from where you're at so it's it just a really interesting thing and it raises a lot of questions on who was looking at this thing Right? Who was yeah. this thing made for? So I don't know if you got anything you want to throw in there, but um, this pattern that has to do with star people and origins coming from the stars—it's it's a common theme throughout Native American culture. Mm. I mean, you have the Hopi Indians who will straight up tell you that their ancestors came from the stars, and that one day those same ancestors are going to return and they'll go with them back to the stars. Yeah. Well, that's kind of the whole theology with Indian burial mounds in some way. You know, like, so for example, in Scripture, high places are places where God dwells. I mean, like, yeah. think about the meta narrative Scripture, right? Um, Eden is the throne of God, and it's on top of a holy mountain. Um, then after that, you have Noah and, and the Ark of Salvation, once the floodwaters abate. Uh, lands on the top of Mount Ararat and builds an altar there to the Lord. Um, Moses, yeah. right? Moses meets the Lord on top of Mount Sinai, right? That's where he's given the commandments of the law. Um, yeah, the prophet places and meeting places. That's exactly right. Um, and so that's the whole theology of a lot of the. I mean, Jesus also, he gives the Sermon on the Mount. Whenever he's transfigured, where does it happen? It, it happens at the top of Mount Hermon, which is actually the same exactly. mountain. The same mountain, um, you know, where a lot of this Watcher stuff happened at um, in Genesis yep. chapter 6. Um, it's the same place, uh, which also has theological significance, right? It's in some ways he's overcoming the... He's reversing uh, Hermone and the, the events that happened there. But anyway, we could spend a whole episode touching on that. But but this kind of establishes a pattern, right? Like there, the God resides in high places, and this is the reason why the Egyptians built things like pyramids, right? It's 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 a high place. It's a, a man-made type of holy mountain. Uh, and you see this same type of architecture in, even in places today like South America, right, with with like the Aztec and a lot of that type of stuff. These are meant to be holy mountains. And it was the same thing with, with burial mounds, Indian burial mounds. 
So w- Richie and I, we live in West Virginia, and there are Indian Adena. Uh, they're supposed to be Adena mounds, is what they are, but those are scattered all over our region. Uh, there's a giant. Yeah, right yeah, there's a giant one in South Charleston called the Creole Mound, and then there's a whole town in West Virginia built on a mound called Moundsville, and I mean it's a gigantic mound. Um, but anyway, so that's the thought behind it, though, Richie. Um, they would bury their ancestors in these holy mountains. And these, think about it, these are elevated places, right? They're elevated. They're, this is the place where the gods come down and, and meet you. This is, the, this is the, the whole ancient world. All of the ancient peoples believed this. Like from, from the writers of the scriptures to to the pagans, you know, to the Egyptians surrounding Israel at that time as well. They all believed that high places was where uh, God met people. And that's, you know, the scripture even uses that language of the church, right? In, in like Hebrews, I think it's 1222. Uh, Someone will have to double check me on that scripture reference. But I think it's Hebrews 1222. It talks about that the church is now this Jerusalem, holy Jerusalem. It's a, We are now set on this... Uh, it, I think it's Paul in Galatians says that we have, whenever you come into the church, you've come to the heavenly Mount Zion. So it even talks about the church being a high place in some way, right? And that it talks about in Hebrews that this is the place where uh, angels angels are even involved in, in our worship and, you know, that kind of stuff. So anyway, um, they're spectators and worshiping God alongside of us. So anyway, this is the ancient worldview. Right, this everybody has it. So whenever Native Americans like the Hopi that you mentioned had, uh, you know, believed in star beings, um, whenever they buried their ancestors in these high places, what they were saying is that they are going to, they're buried with the gods. Right, they're buried with the star people. They, this is a step closer in being reunited with them. So, all right, so. to get us kind of back on track here. Um, but, yeah, so we were talking about interdimensional beings, you know, spiritual beings, that entire thing, and that UFO, UAP, alien stuff is the modern mask that they're presenting themselves in to our generation. So we just talked a little bit about some of the masks that they've presented themselves to in generations past, right? Um, we There's also some other interesting stories out there. So we just talked about some of the ancient civilizations, ancient Near Eastern cultures, right, where they had serpent gods. And then you've got the entire ancient alien stuff out there, right? Uh, you yeah. know, Jeremiah Sitchin, you know, all that kind of stuff, you know, all that. But, um, you know, it's interesting, though. As you look back over the centuries, you can actually see this pattern manifesting itself, and you can also see it with different masks as well. Right, so you can let so a modern example of this, and I'm kind of teeing you up here. Um, a modern example of that is uh, like with the uh, major occultist Aleister Crowley, right? Oh yeah, who uh, through a ritual um, summons a spiritual being, a series of rituals, actually. a series of rituals. Um, where he summons a cl- a classic looking gray looking alien named Lamb. Now he doesn't the, the the spiritual being doesn't present himself as an alien to, to Crowley, right? But if you go back and if you look at Crowley's depiction of this spiritual being, it looks identical. Um, classic gray alien. Classic. Absolutely. I think you actually posted a picture of this on our Instagram, so yeah. um, it's there if you guys want to go back to our Instagram feed and look at it. But 
but um, it, it it presents itself as a spiritual being to to Crowley, right? And it so there's a, another kind of manifestation of this same phenomena, and it's kind of got a different mask here, right? Yeah, yeah. And Crowley too was was dabbling in things like sex magic and. You know, so a lot of this type of pattern like was being used in some of this ritual stuff that he was doing, you know, using to manifest these beings. Yeah, and all this stuff really precedes uh, the classic pop culture image of the gray alien like we see all over today. Yeah. I mean, that's really where it came from. When you look back at uh, Crowley's sketches of Lamb, it's I mean, it looks identical to the classic gray alien. Yeah, and the message was the same that you see in all of these contactee reports um, of like trying to take humans to a more advanced state of consciousness and really set them free from religious dogma and anti- in a very anti-Christian way. Yeah, right. And so there's there's some other um, there's other some uh, other uh, examples of this out there that are kind of modern as well. And a big one uh, is is Hitler and the Nazis. Oh, um, yeah. You know, there's actually lots and lots of stuff out there that talks about you know Hitler and the Nazis having contact with UFOs, um, and apparently they had even uh, perhaps put together their own uh, crafts. You know, were trying to kind of mimic some of the tech and some of that kind of stuff. Um, I think that Edward Snowden apparently <laughs> leaked some documents that supposed supposedly yeah. talk. About. I've never read them, um, and I don't know how trustworthy that they would be. Um, but but this is another. But the interesting thing is same type of phenomena, but different type of mask. Right? Like looks exact. It, it's supposed to look exactly the same. Uh, you know, it looks very similar to what it did with Crowley. Um, I, if I'm not mistaken, like there was even a society. And you know more about this than I would that Hitler had that was into this type of stuff, into the occult, right? Like the Thule Society and and yeah. some of that kind of stuff. That's kind of his take on the work of Aleister Crowley. Yeah, he was a, Hitler was a huge scholar in the occult, and he surrounded himself with really occultists from all over the world. And that's what well, that was even behind his pursuit of religious relics for their power. He he was that sort of occultic nature that he had and i know a lot of his followers that were um captured later during the war crimes they they talked about the occultic as- aspect and that a lot of the knowledge that the germans had that brought them to world dominance was traded in communication back and forth with these ultra terrestrials yeah that's fascinating stuff um so yeah, so Hitler and the Nazis are doing occultist type stuff, and they're very similar to what Crowley's doing, right? And again, these beings from the heavens, from the outside, manifest themselves here, right? And um, yep. you know, there's there's technology happening here, right? Because I mean, there's a huge technological boom that happens after that World War. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, so I mean, just really interesting things to think about. Um, there's kind of a, a new modern way uh, where some of this stuff's done, which is the modern CE5 movement, which is uh, oh, CE5 uh, actually just simply means close encounter of the fifth kind. 
So there's different types of encounters that you can have with aliens. So this is, but basically what what CE five is is it is a ritual um, put out there by people like Dr. Stephen Greer, um, who has a documentary called Unacknowledged, really popular documentary. And then he just released another one on the fourth of July. I think it's called The Cosmic Hoax. Yep. Is that the name of it? Yeah, I watched it. You watched it as well. Yeah. Yep. And but basically what this what this movement's trying to do is it's it's uh we'll connect it all together here in a minute, but it, it it's basically taking the view that these beings are friendly, they're they're here to it, it, you're gonna this narrative, you're gonna see how it ties in. They're here to bring us transcendence. They're here to bring us salvation. They're here enlightenment, yeah. enlightenment, right? And you'll hear Doctor Greer talk about like they've they uh, you know uh, circle bases, military bases, and they shut off nuclear weapons, you know that type of stuff. And this is a signal that they are they want peace and they don't they want to bring us uh, you know salvation basically. Um, which, you know, there are reports of that stuff being true, that there are, have been UFO, UAP, that type of stuff, phenomena, and, and um, you know, nuclear weapons have been shut off and disabled and, you know, that type of stuff. So, But it's interesting, though. You can see that, and there's this narrative spun there, right? And it leads to the modern CE5 movement. And basically what CE5 is, is it takes this narrative and what it wants to do is it wants to contact these beings. And the interesting way that it happens is, guess, through rituals, right? You can Absolutely. actually, you, yeah, you can actually download, there's an app out there. You can actually download the CE5 app, but it's basically spiritual spiritual disciplines for alien contact. Like it's like focused. Yeah, and it's, it's so ingrained within the new age movement that's everywhere that I don't even think people look back far enough into it to see its occultic roots. They see it as this modern progressive kind of, I know Dr. Greer is a Buddhist and I think he links all of it to, you know, the teachings in Buddhism, but it's, yeah. it's definitely got its occult roots. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, uh, you know, well, I, I mean, even with, with things like Buddhism and stuff like that, um, we, we would say that the gods who bring that knowledge or, you know, or whatever, you know, uh, the, in regards to other religions, the so-called gods who bring that that type of knowledge that is you it, it it ties back in some ways to this genesis stick stuff um and it oh, goes yeah. it goes back even even uh it goes well further even to the 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 tower of babel stuff you know at babel you know deuteronomy 32 talks about that the sons of god were scattered and appointed over the nations and this is how the gods of the nations come about so this knowledge that somebody like a dr greer would have if he is following you know some other type of religion or spiritual practice it's literally occultic knowledge given by yep. a spiritual being who is in rebellion to the one true god right so Really interesting stuff, but but it here here's what I want to say. But with the CE five movement, notice the overlap with the other stuff, right? With uh, the ancient paganism, right? They're contacting the gods, the star people, the you know that type of stuff. They're doing it through blood rituals, right? And then Crowley, right? Crowley is contacting Lamb, and you know some of these other. Uh, beings that he gets he's doing it through rituals 
Hitler, right? He he has a, an entire occultic society um, doing some of his his work, and how are they? They're doing it through ritual. And now we've got this modern movement, um, which is also trying to contact these beings. And how are they doing it? Through ritual. And what is it that they're Absolutely. doing? It's the same exact pattern. Being heavenly beings coming from the outside, trying to bring knowledge, trying to bring transcendence. And um, yeah, so it's it's the same exact pattern manifesting itself uh, in a modern mask. So, so that is our contention. Our contention is that um, that this that things like UFOs, UAP, aliens, that type of thing, that this type of thing can actually be explained with the Bible from a Christian perspective. Um, and we can do that if we just simply get the patterns and the story of Scripture in our minds and under our belts, and, and if we're willing to look at things through that lens. I think that the temptation for a lot of Christians, and we're going to talk about this a little bit more in the uncut segment of today's episode, I think that the temptation that most Christians face is, well, they, I, I think that they simply don't know how to deal with something like that, right? Yeah. And so what it usually leads to is them totally denying things like this, that they even exist, and and then like being in denial of, of evidence out there, which we're going to talk about some of that in the Uncut episode today as well. Um, but I think that most Christians don't know how to deal with this, and that's sad because our scriptures actually give us a way to think about this type of phenomena, but most of us have never been taught how to do that or have never been even well most of us have been given scripture from a materialistic type of worldview like people who deny the uh the supernatural reading of uh genesis chapter 6 with the sons of god um people who just i, I mean there are literally modern scholars out there today who just deny the entire legitimacy of Genesis 1 through 3 altogether and deny that Adam and Eve were even historical people. Um, so, I mean, it's no wonder that Christians don't know how to do this, uh, how to think about these things, right? They've had a lot of the stuff that they need in order to do that just never given to them or taken from them, so... Yeah, it's just been kind of the easy road so far just to exclude all of this from their worldview. I mean, but it's not that it's not the case anymore as these issues become bigger and bigger issues. Like you see disclosure all over the news today. You see more and more people talking about these subjects. Uh, the church is going to have to come to a point where they're going to have to face these things head on. And yeah, with these categories, it's important. Yeah. Yep, I I agree, and so um, I'll, we'll we'll have a conversation here about some of John Keel, his work, and some of Jacques Vallée's. So we we talked about them a little bit earlier, right? That there were other people out there who held to similar views that um, these that these uh, beings aren't just merely extraterrestrial um that's actually a very materialistic way to think about this type of phenomenon right that that um and i think that that's how most people are thinking about it today right that these beings are extraterrestrial and if you don't know what extraterrestrial means the definition of extraterrestrial simply just means outside of the earth right extra which is 
and then terrestrial is Earth. So that's what extraterrestrial means. And, and most people think that these types of beings are just some being from somewhere else in space who are highly evolved from another planet somewhere, and that's it. But that's a, that's a very materialistic way to think about this topic and a very materialistic way of viewing it. it it's disconnecting um, this entire phenomena from the spiritual. And, and that's what I really appreciate about the work. Uh, uh, that's what I appreciate about the work of people like Jacques Vallée and John Keel. They're, they were not, whenever they examined the phenomena and they saw what was going on, they also saw these same patterns, right? They, you know, go back and they see it manifesting itself with different masks throughout history and the and they were unwilling to disconnect it um, from spiritual beings and this uh, type of way of viewing it I really appreciate that um, about their work and this this is actually a, a tip of the tip of the hand here or a showing of the hand here um, John Keel actually referred to his entire theory uh, um, as the unified theory of the paranormal. He actually thought that this, yep. this theory explained all types of paranormal phenomena, whether it be, uh, now I disagree with kill a little bit. He, he thought that he thought that super or, or uh, ultra terrestrials was the beings behind angels, demons, um, you know, things like, uh, Bigfoot fairies, you know, yeah. skinwalker, you know, what, whatever, you know, he thought that, that ultra terrestrials were, were the things that were behind that. Um, but uh, that's where I would disagree with him a little bit. I think that what's actually behind all of these things, you can call them ultra terrestrials if you want. I think that's a fitting name because aliens are, or, uh, spiritual beings are from another dimension. Um, yeah. So that's there. There is uh, some truth to that. That, but the thing is, is from a biblical worldview, the thing, uh, the cause for all of this phenomena are fallen angels, right? We see that. I mean, they are the cause for um, for the Nephilim, and the Nephilim. That's where where demons do come from. Um, so they're the cause of that. They're also, we, we also talked about last week or not last week, but the week before last, they're also the cause for things like elemental spirits, right? So a lot of this type of phenomenon, it, it, it links back to this. So, um, so yeah, I, I think that, that there's a way that you can kind of tweak that view a little bit and, you know, bring it back under, under scripture and, you know, make sense of it there. But anyway. But, oh, to connect this back to where I was going. Um, so, this can also explain some of the things that we're going to talk about, not next week, but the week after next. And so next week's episode will be another chin wag. We'll reflect back on this episode. We've got some other things that we want to talk about out there, too. We're probably going to do a review of uh, Dr. Greer's film, um, The Cosmic Hoax. Um, we really wanted to talk about that some more. Um I think that we've got a chinwag coming up where we're going to also review uh, a two-season series of a show, paranormal show called Hellier. So that should be in, so yeah. that should that should be interesting. Um, but uh, our, the next big episode that you and I are going to drop um, is going to be the last part of our spiritual being series, and that's going to be an episode on cryptids. 
Now, yep. most people wouldn't think that these things connect, right? But they do, especially if you have this type of view that behind all of this phenomena are spiritual beings. If you have that under your belt, um, then you can start to make sense of things like cryptids, um, which, you know, like I said, even John Keel, who's not a Christian, and Jacques Vallée, um, even they did the same thing. So, like, with Keel's, you know, theory of the, uh, the unified theory of the paranormal, he thought that there was a single entity manifesting itself with all these different types of masks. So even he thought something yeah. like that. So um, I think that you can also make the case that a lot of this type of stuff is, you know, spiritual beings behind it as well. So we're going to talk about that a little more over the next couple of weeks. Absolutely. All right. So you got anything else you want to throw in there before we uh, hit the conclusion of today's episode? Um, Not really. I have some things to bring out in the, the uncut version, but I'm good for now. All right. Well, that wraps up this week's edition of the Sword and Staff. Richie and I are going to continue this conversation. Uh, and remember, that's exclusively available to our patrons over at Patreon. So if you'd like to hear the uncut version of this week's episode, which will continue on after we sign off, uh, sign off head over to patreon.com backslash Sword and Staff Order. So Richie and I are going to be discussing more things related to this topic, such as, is Jesus' atonement, does that does his atonement apply to UFOs? Does it apply to UAP and aliens? Uh, right, that's a bit, that's a hot question in our, in our age, right? Actually, if I'm not mistaken, like the Vatican, like has taken oh, yeah. up, yeah, has taken up that topic of trying to answer that question and they've opened up like an observatory and, you know, all kinds of stuff, um, so Richie and I are going to be discussing that question. Uh, we're also going to be discussing why this topic is so taboo, right? Like, why is it that that people are afraid to talk about it? Why are Christians afraid to talk about it? Um, so we're going to dig into that. And then we're going to actually read and discuss some declassified U.S. government documents that actually show that this phenomenon isn't just conjecture, but rather is a matter of fact. So if you'd like to get in on that conversation, head over to Patreon, become a patron, sign up. You can get the Sword and Staff Uncut where you get at least, at least 30 extra minutes of content. Um, so we'll be back next week with a Chinwag edition of the Sword and Staff, and the following week we'll be returning with the last episode of our Spiritual Being series, which will be on Cryptid. So if you're interested in things like the Mothman, Bigfoot, the Loch Ness Monster Fairies, and how all that stuff relates to spiritual beings, you're going to want to tune in then. So I don't have anything else. And so with that being said, we'll see you guys next next week. All right. So, Richie, this is the first episode that we've ever done of the Sword and Staff Uncut. Oh, yeah. This Are you excited? Sword and Staff, the Twilight Zone. I'm ready. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is the place where we get to say uh, things that we wouldn't typically say on on uh, on the other, uh, you know, the the cut version. So this is gonna be this is gonna be interesting. How are you feeling about that episode? I feel like that a lot, we we actually kept a lot of the good content for this stuff this week. So we we did. We yeah. ha- we had to kind of reinterpret things a little bit for the 
mainly our Christian audience, but here we can definitely go down the rabbit hole and get into some more complex issues. Yeah, so this should be fun. All right, so do you want to read our first question? And we'll talk about this together for a little while. We'll kick this back and forth. You know, the first topic, the first question that we're diving into is one that's been really, I mean, I've seen it in the headlines of the news lately with the Vatican astronomy team and their questions being brought to them about salvation and alien life and does Christ's atonement extend to any alien beings that might be out there? Yeah. Yeah. So that it does seem to be a hot topic. It's a question that Christians, especially those in the scientific community are thinking about. And like we talked about, you know, I know the Vatican's taking that up. Um, I think I actually have a book here by a Christian who is a scientist named Hugh Ross. He actually has a book on aliens called, is there life out there? And if I'm not mistaken, I think he actually takes up the topic of, um, if Jesus atonement, um, if it's, uh, if it touches on alien life and that kind of thing. So there's, there's been all kinds of answers out there that I've seen, you know, a lot of people were like, yes, Jesus, Jesus atonement is this cosmic event. And I think that there is a cosmic aspect to, uh, Jesus death. I mean, it talks about in Colossians, like that it, in his death, um, in his death, burial, and resurrection for the forgiveness of sins. Not only does it forgive our sins, but it's also disarmed the rulers and the principalities, um, you know, that type of thing. So there is a cosmic aspect um, to his atonement. Um, but I think that whenever we get into the topic of does the atonement, um, does it apply to aliens, um, I think it really comes down to what your definition of an alien is or what a, you know, yeah. you know, if you take the view that they're merely extraterrestrial, which is that they are simply beings, um, who are from another planet, you know, out there somewhere, then, you know, you could probably, you could make the case, I think. I think that the problem with that view, though, is that, like I said in the episode, the the extraterrestrial view, I think, is materialistic. Like, it, it separates um, these beings and their phenomena. It separates that from spiritual beings and what the Bible talks about. And the problem with that is, is you have to deny the overlap. Like, there there is a clear connection between the phenomena of spiritual beings, which we talked about in Genesis 3 and Genesis 6, um, there is that pattern that you see manifested in those spiritual beings is clearly also manifested in uh, extraterrestrial stuff, in in aliens, in UFOs, in U- UAP. Like, it's, it's the same exact pattern, and that's what, you know, we're, we're trying to show in today's uh, today's episode, so I, I think there are some real problems with that. So, um, now I'll say this: if they're ultra terrestrials, or if they are fallen spiritual beings, then the answer to that question, I think, is no. Right? I mean, like, does Jesus right. die for fallen, rebellious angels who are posing? as you know uh ufos aliens that time no he doesn't scripture is actually really clear that there are angels um who you know like for example satan is an angel uh he is a reprobate spiritual being right like there he is not going to be saved 
he's he is going to be cast yeah. into the lake of fire at the last day and the the aliens that or not <laughs> I'm, I'm over, <laughs> the got aliens on the brain today. <laughs> i've got aliens on the brain today uh but the the angels who fell along with satan you know it, it talks about that they're going to be cast there too they're going to be destroyed on the day of judgment as well and actually you know Peter talks about in Second Peter that the angels who did the entire Genesis six sons of God thing that some of them have been chained in Tartarus in, in chains and gloomy darkness and that they're kept there for the day of judgment. So, it, Scripture seems to talk about that that beings that are in rebellion to God, spiritual beings um, who have done the like that there is no hope for them, there is no salvation for them. So. If those are the spirit, if those spiritual beings are the beings behind UFO, alien, you know, UAP phenomena, then the answer I think is a very clear no that the Jesus atonement does not apply to them, because Jesus um, atonement does not atone for the reprobate. So I don't know if you got anything you want to add to that before we move on to the next question, but oh, no, I think you covered it really well. Yeah. All right. So the next question, and I think you probably have some stuff you you can throw in on this because you've been in this world much longer than I have. But the next question that we got is, why is this topic so taboo, right? Like, why why is it that Christians are afraid to talk about this? Like, why is the church not talking about this stuff more? Why is it why is it that it's only these two weird guys from West Virginia? <laughs> who are talking about this and taking this stuff seriously. Why Why do you think that? It's just our innate weirdness. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, uh, uh, it's just a lack of these categories and just a, a modernistic approach to uh, the ancient spiritual worldview of the church. I mean, it's interesting when you look back on the way these beings were perceived in, in the ancient world, they, it, there wasn't a question that they weren't anything other than spiritual beings. Yeah. And then as things kind of progressed, you get into modernity and it's, it's a really modern take that, okay, they're not spiritual beings. They're a created being um, flesh and blood like us, just somewhere else out there in the universe and that they're coming here to help humanity evolve. Yeah. And then now as sort of atheism and this spiritual whitewashing is dying, it's returning to more to a more spiritual source as we go along so i think it's a recapturing of the ancient christian worldview on these things yeah and yeah yeah well i mean i think that you're you're spot on there i mean whenever ancient peoples saw you know reptilian type beings and it's obvious that they did i mean you have native americans yeah. in ohio who were building mounds to them, depicting them and uh, aligning mounds to the summer solstice. I mean, that's a, that's a big, that's a big deal, right? Like, I mean, like that's not just something that you do. I mean, that's, there's obviously some type of cosmic intelligence going on behind that. Um, Absolutely. But, I mean, and then you look at Egypt and you look at their depiction of the gods. I mean, it's obvious that these beings were making themselves known to these ancient peoples. And they were viewing them as spiritual beings. Like, these are our gods is what they're thinking. And so oh, yeah. we're going to worship them. You're right? And it's because they don't have the redemptive story that Israel has. 
Um, and that was one of the roles of Israel. You know, Israel was called to be a priestly nation that, that ministered to the nations outside of themselves. You know, it, you know, every year on, um, it was, uh, I think it's the Feast of Booth, which was also, you know, the Feast of Tabernacles. Um, Tabernacle was a, a feast in the Jewish liturgical calendar where they ministered to the the pagans, the Gentiles around them. So they would go and they would live in booths or tabernacles, which is why it's called booths or tabernacles. Um, but they would also offer up, get this, like 70 uh, ox, oxen on behalf of the nations. Now, why 70? Well, because in Genesis, um, Genesis 10, with the table of nations where the nations, you know, you've got the whole table of nations and then that leads to Babel. There are 70 nations listed there. So Israel, whenever they thought about the nations, they, they thought, Hey, you know, there's, there's 70 nations. It's a kind of this symbolic number for, for, uh, you know, the nations around them, but they would offer up oxen on their behalf, you know? Um, and then they would minister to them and, you know, th- throughout the, their liturgical calendar. Um, so that was their that was their role. That was what they were supposed to do. You know, obviously now that Jesus or that God has destroyed the nation of Israel, He's destroyed the temple. Um, he destroyed the temple in AD seventy. Um, you know, we learn in Scripture that God is now not overlooking the transgression of the nations, and now He calls all men to repent and to believe in the Lord Jesus. And to confess that he is Lord, you know, we see that type of language used in Scripture. But that's that's an interesting thing, though, right? Like Israel had this story of redemption; the other people didn't, and they were called to be um, a light to those people. And that's what we're called to do as well. Um, we're called to be a light in the darkness. We God is not going to overlook these things anymore, right? He's he's going to uh, he's he's not going to overlook them anymore. He calls all men to repent and to believe in the Lord Jesus. So. Um, but I think that you're right to come and c- circle this back around. I'm going, <laughs> I'm going too deep down the rabbit hole here. Um, uh, but I think that you're right. I, I think that you know, for a lot of Christians, what it is is that a lot of them don't have a fully orbed view of what the Bible says about spiritual beings, and on, a lot of that has to do with modernity and materialism, like you were saying. Um, we've been very influenced by modernity. Um, and so because of that, like, we just avoid conversations like this because, well, to us it's weird, right? Like, most people don't, most Christians, I think, don't think about things like angels in their day-to-day life. No. You know? Like, they don't think about, you know, I've been involved in one exorcism. You know, well, I mean, if you want to count the rest of the baptisms I've did since that time as an ex, because they have a minor exorcism, um, but really one like intentional, you know, type of exorcism event. And I'm telling, man, whenever I had that conversation, whenever people asked me about it or you know whatever, like people thought that was very strange. Why would that be strange oh, yeah. to to Christians with a supernatural worldview? Well, it's because we're we've been very influenced by modernity and materialism. Most of us don't think about these things happening having any bearing in our day-to-day life. So, um so I think that's one reason why this is taboo. I think that's one reason. Um we avoid conversations like this because well, it's just it's weird and we don't realize how much we've been influenced by th- by these things. Um 
I think that there's a second reason that it's taboo. Um, well, I think, well, this ties back into the first one. We really care what the world thinks about us. So we, but I, I think the second reason is that this topic has been made taboo by our culture for a reason. Like, like we've been trained to think that this topic is taboo and it's been very intentional. Like, I mean, you can see the way that the media deals with this topic, right? Like it doesn't take it seriously. Like, you know, it, it, if it reports on UFO, UAP, alien stuff, it's usually to try to discredit it or to try to make people who have that type of view, make them feel dumb. Um, yeah, and the, and then it's 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 very interesting the strategy. If they report on it, it's negative, and so they let the tabloids be the one yeah, who the who tabloids pick up the heavy right, there. Right, they let the tabloids pick it up, which which furthers that agenda really to just yeah. kind of discredit this view. So, um, so I think it's another reason why it's taboo. I, I think that there is an intentional strategy. Um, for this to be taboo. And, and, you know, it would make sense if you are, well, if you've, if you are a government or a country that has had contact with these beings for decades now, right? Like if that's a, if that's a reality um, and you're trying to keep that secret and like, and you don't want the public to know about it because you know that the public will panic, like you could see why that would be the strategy, Right. Like, you would see, like, why there would be this whole big thing to discredit and to kind of laugh it off. I mean, like, you would almost have to in some ways, you know, if you're trying to maintain that secrecy. So I think that that's another reason why it's probably taboo. I don't think that it should be taboo um, because I actually think that there's really, really good evidence out there that this is a, a matter of fact and not just conjecture. So, um, which will bring us to the last part of our Uncut episode, which is we're going to talk about some dis, dis, declassified and disclosed documents from the government, which should be really, really interesting. You got anything you want to add before we move on to this section? How you I'm feeling? ready for the next section. <laughs> You've been saving it all up for this section. Uh, yep. So I, I'm just feeling warmed up. We should have went like three hours on this episode today. Like it's yeah. at the end of the uncut episode that I'm actually starting to <laughs> feel like, feel like the, uh, the caffeine's kicking in. I'm not, I'm not tired and ready to fall asleep, but, um, all right. So, so like I said, I don't think that this topic should be taboo. I think that there's actually really good evidence out there that this type of phenomenon really is happening. And one of the things that I want to bring to your attention, if you are a Sword and Staff Uncut listener, is a document that has been declassified by the FBI. Um, you can actually find it in the FBI vault um, in the records. It's actually You can find that online. It's vault.fbi.gov. But it is called the Guy Hattel Letter. It's a memorandum. Um, now, if you don't know who Guy Hattel was... Um, Guy Hattel was the head, the head of the FBI's field office in Washington, D.C. during Roswell. Guy Hattel isn't just an, some Joe Blow, <laughs> okay? Uh, yeah. He is the head of the FBI's field office in Washington, D.C. 
That's a big deal. Okay. Now, this memo okay. that, that I'm about to read to you was addressed to the FBI field director, and this name's going to sound very familiar to you, J. Edgar Hoover. Yep. <laughs> All right. Big so, guy of the FBI. Right. J. Edgar Hoover. Okay. So, uh, this document is a office mer- uh, memorandum, and... It's uh, from the U.S. government. It's like I said, you can find it here on the uh, the FBI site. But this is a memorandum sent by Guy Hattel, and it's on the subject of flying saucers and information concerning it. It was sent on March twenty second, nineteen fifty, and it's concerning the event in Roswell, New Mexico. Now, this, as I said, this is a declassified document. It is out there in for anybody to read. But I want you to listen to what it says. So it says, The following information was furnished to SA, and then there's a redacted section. And it says, An investigator for the Air Force stated that three so-called flying saucers have been recovered in New Mexico. They were described as being circular in shape with raised centers approximately 50 feet in diameter. Each one was occupied by three bodies of human shape, but only three foot tall, dressed in metallic cloth of very fine texture. Each body was bandaged in a manner similar to the blackout suits used by speed flyers and test pilots. According to Mr. Redacted, Informant, the saucers were found in New Mexico due to the fact that the government had a very high-powered radar set up in the area, and it is believed that the radar interferes with the controlling, the controlling mechanisms of the saucers. No further evidence or no further evaluation was attempted by SA Redacted concerning the above. So that's Guy Hattel's letter to J. Edgar Hoover, uh, and again, Guy Hattel was the head of the FBI's field office in Washington, and J. Edgar Hoover was the FBI director. So, Richie, you got anything you want to comment on with that? I mean, that's that's a pretty big deal, right? I mean, if you, if this, if you, this is trust, like, could be trusted, Right. I, I mean, I guess that there's always the possibility that the government could, you know, throw declassified documents out there that are, uh, you know, maybe uh, disinformation, you know, that type of thing. But, I mean, it seems that this is a statement that there was a recovery of aircraft in regards to Roswell, New Mexico. What do you think about that? Um, it's, I mean, it's really interesting why they're out there to the public to begin with. I mean, I I didn't really think about that until you brought it up. Like it's either a really good disinformation campaign Mm. or, you know, it's, I haven't really thought about giving that much thought before. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really, I think that it's fascinating. I mean, there's all, like I said, there's always the chance that that could, it could somehow be disinformation, you know, that kind of thing. But, you know, I mean, this, there's a part of me though, that thinks that that would be like, if you were trying to do disinformation, like you would be trying to steer people away from the fact that you have had 
contact with these types of beings since the 50s. Yeah. You know, like that, it would seem to me that if you were going to do disinformation or, you know, a psyop or something like that, like that would be the route that you wanted to go, not yeah. the route that everybody thinks that you're already doing in secret. Like that, that, that wouldn't, doesn't make a ton of sense to me. So, um, but anyway, uh, yeah, I've heard people go back and forth saying that it was, uh, that it's a very intentional disinformation campaign. And then I've had people go back and forth on the Roswell event saying that, the crash at Roswell was a modern version of spiritual beings bring, bringing technology to humanity. Like it was an almost intentional seeding of that technology. Oh, that's interesting. Well, I mean, like I said, you know, after the World War and after the entire um, Roswell event in the 50s, I mean, there is a technological boom that that happens after those events. I mean, so for Absolutely. example, you know, like... Um, you know, after Roswell, uh, the U.S. Air Force actually became a thing. Up until that, the Army was the one that did, it was the Army Air Force. So the Air Force didn't even, you know, wasn't even a thing up until that point. And then after that, I mean, there's a huge technological jump um, in terms of, you know, craft, you know, that type of thing. And also, another interesting fact. The up until this point, the the FBI is the only, was the place that was dealing with the CIA didn't even become a thing until after right after this, like a like maybe a year or maybe two years or something like that after Roswell. So some interesting things to to think about and to consider. And well, I mean, Absolutely. this is and you know this is a declassified document that is stating that there were uh, there was aircraft. Um, got uh, ret- um, it, there was aircraft found and um, collected in the Roswell event. So that's really fascinating because you know if you if you've went back and if you've ever looked into some of this stuff, you know there they were <laughs> there was a an effort to say like it wasn't craft, like it was a weather balloon and. You know, yeah, like a weather and, balloon, always the weather balloon, right? The, there's a weather balloon, and then um, you know there that type of stuff, and then not only that, but you know there was even a a long time there where the existence of Area 51 was totally denied. Like you know, I think that you know President Obama might have been the first president to actually mention it, like publicly. Like that it existed. Yeah. Like I, I think that he was maybe the first. So, you know, for a long time, this type of stuff was just kind of it was kind of thought as conspiracy stuff. And well, now you know, here's the doc. You know, a document that has been declassified that you know not only basic. You know, it not only confirms the existence of you know, you know Area 51 and that kind of stuff, and that they recovered, but you know, through actually craft uh, recovered, and that there were beings you know, in them as well. So really interesting thing to think about. <laughs> yeah. And if you go back and look in, at even in the ancient times, these UFOs, they weren't described as something uh, always that was immaterial. I mean, they likened them to chariots and right. flying craft of wheels within wheels, moving gears. So it makes sense that what crashed out in the desert was something like that. Yeah. 
That's uh, you know, and that's what that's what these beings do. They they counterfeit what God does, right? Like Ezekiel sees the vision of God in Ezekiel. You know, he talks about it being like wheels within wheels, chariot of fire. You know, that type of thing. Um, so you see that type of phenomenon with God, and like you know, you see in scriptures that they're always counterfeiting what God does, right? Like, and that. Satan disguises himself as an angel of light and, and that type of stuff. So it totally makes sense, like you're saying. Um, so the next document that we're going to look at is actually the most recent one. This is a declassified document. Um, and this is the preliminary assessment uh, on UAP, Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon. And this was from June 25th, 2021. And this is from the Office of the Director of National Intelligence with the United States government. Um, and in this document, this was the one that was the big letdown to everybody. Right, I think that oh, yeah. we I think that we mentioned it in uh, we did a chin wag on it last week. Yeah. Um. But as much as it is a disappointment, I think that there are some things here that are interesting that corresponds with the guy Hattel letter that we just read or the memo that we just read. You know, and so guy Hattel, um, you know, he's writing about craft that's recovered. Um, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and so in this one, in the, the newest one, the preliminary assessment on UAP, it does state that they don't know what it is, what the UAP is, right? Like, it, I mean, that's the thing that everybody was upset about, you know, that there are, there are, you know, reports in there, like it gives numbers of reports and, you know, that type of stuff. And it talks about the challenges of, of uh, connect, uh, collecting this data and examining it and, you know, that type of stuff. And, you know, it talks about that, you know, UAP, that they lack a single explanation for it, you know, that type of stuff. Um, but the interesting thing about this document, I think is this, and I think this is the thing that a lot of people didn't pay attention to, is that they don't deny that there is UAP phenomena. They don't right. deny it. They don't deny it. Right? Like, yes, they say that, they say, hey, it's not us. It's not China. It's not Russia. Right? Um, and they even say that it's not, They what, don't they even, I'd have to go back and read it. I should have highlighted it and printed it out, but um, I think that they even say that they don't think that it's like, you know, alien or extraterrestrial or yeah, something. Yeah, they think like it's highly unlikely. Yeah. Yeah. But, but they don't deny that there is actual UAP phenomena and that it is a threat to flight safety and then possibly even national security. So, what do you make of that? <laughs> I mean,. Like, what do you do with that? You know? Uh, there's not really much you can do with it. It's kind of like you start with the question of what what are, the th- what are these things? Let's define unidentified flying object. And then they take you down this report, down this trail, and it leads back to the same thing. We, we don't know. Yeah. Well, it's, um, well here's, here's some of the, uh, the section here. Um, like it explicitly says, like it does not deny, and I think the reason why it doesn't. I mean, they have documents out there talking about the recovery of craft and stuff like that. So it it literally says UAP threaten flight safety and possibly national security. It says UAP pose a hazard 
to safety of flight and can pose a broader danger if some circumstances represent sophisticated collection against U.S. military activities by foreign government or demonstrate a breakthrough in aerospace technology by a potential adversary. You know, so it seems to me like they have some concerns that, you know, if this is foreign government, um, you know, or aerospace breakthrough that, you know, that's national security stuff. But, but it's interesting because they go on later and they say that it's not that. So, yeah. so it's basically it really just shows you that the evidence is mounting for this phenomenon that they can't that the classic just flat out denial of it isn't going to work anymore well i mean I, they still think they can yeah. get away with uh okay it's there we see it we just don't know what it is yeah. but they've come to a point where i mean they it can't just be ignored anymore well you know i think that this actually really gives credence to what we're putting forth in this episode that this is actually spiritual in nature rather than materialistic. Um, like there, yes, I'm not saying that matter can't be collected like craft and things like that. Because I mean, you do see alien take on or not? <laughs> I've got aliens on the brain today. You aliens see, you, you see angels. They they take on bodies in scripture. I mean, you see that when when you've got the three uh, the three angels who. Um, make themselves known to Abraham. Um, and you know, they have, they share a meal with Abraham. They actually sleep and you know, that kind of stuff. So it's, they are capable of taking on material. But, um, I think that what they're saying here actually buttresses what we're saying. Like there's a reason why it's difficult to gather and collect, um, analytics on this type of thing. And the reason why is because they're spiritual beings, right? There's a reason, there's a reason why this type of phenomenon seems to be there all of a sudden. And then it just totally phases out. Like you, like you can see video out there, like, you know, there's the Tic Tac video out there, which has been a really big one. And then there's others out there as well, where you just, you see this UAP and, all of a sudden it's there and then boom, it just phases out. Like it's just like it just disappears. How does that happen? Well, it makes total sense if this is a spiritual being or to use John Kill's language, right? For the people who are listening and who aren't Christian, whatever. Um, it makes sense if this is an ultra terrestrial who is phasing in and out of the, the super spectrum or if this is a an inter an interdimensional being who has the ability to phase from one dimension of reality to another dimension, right? Totally makes sense of that. And it also makes sense of why this stuff seemingly defies the law of physics. Like why it does not behave the way that it's supposed to behave. Like, like in the Tic Tac video, uh, the, like it's, it, if I'm not mistaken, I have to go back and I would, I would need to, um, examine it a little bit more. Um, but it, with this, um, this, this phenomena, this unidentified aerial phenomena, um, it shoots up like a foot from above the water, like literally hovering above the sea. And it shoots up to like 80,000, you know, uh, like feet in the air, like within one second, I think was, was what they yeah. said. Like how that shouldn't that shouldn't even be possible? How does that happen? 
Well, I mean, it makes sense if, like, you, like I think, like, the government's it's something for, that transcends physical walls. Yeah, like it makes sense that you, this stuff is difficult to <laughs> to collect data on and to examine. Well, it makes sense if it's a spiritual being, right? And then not only that, but you also have like it's not just like. Um, so, for example, somebody may be like, well, we don't know what the Tic Tac was. And, you know, there was more than just aerial phenomena going on with the Tic Tac. Like, it also jammed radars. Yep. Like, radars that were there watching this thing and, and trying to observe, it jammed radars. So there's intelligence going on with it. So it's more than just like some kind like somebody may be tempted to say, well, you know, maybe it was some kind of... Uh, you know, phenomena that wasn't actually there, you know, like, uh, you know, maybe people were seeing things or something. You know, maybe somebody's tempted to go that route. But the, like I said, the problem with that, it was, is there's, there's, it was doing other things other than just aerial phenomena. Like it was, it jammed radars while it was there. Like, and the person who, uh, I can't remember the guy's name. Um, the guy who, who documents, like he was a very like decorated, military person you know what i mean like it, it, this isn't just somebody who's you know this was a person who is who knows what they were doing and yeah so it's not just oh, yeah. something he was, him and his friend they were both very experienced pilots and they they were in secrecy with it for a long time until those uh documentary makers got them to really come out and talk about it yeah i mean they were fearing for their careers yeah which yeah i mean so this isn't things that you can just simply write off, right? I mean, this is like, like I said, this isn't, we have stepped in this episode, we have stepped out. Like, I think that this is one of the things that's going to be unique about this episode all in all. Like, you know, I've listened to a lot of podcasts out there. Um, there's a couple Christian podcasts out there that do this stuff from a kind of a Christian perspective, but you know, the stuff that I've listened to, it seems more conspiratorial than anything else. You know, it talks about, you know, this happening or, you know, there's this conspiracy that this happened or whatever. Um, but I feel like that in this episode, we've stepped out of the realm of conjecture or conspiratorial information and have given like, actually, like, no, here's actual evidence. <laughs> like, here's a couple yeah. lines of evidence, right? Like, there's a letter that talks about like retrieving craft. Um, there's way there's more. There's a lot of other stuff out there too in the FBI vault that's actually declassified. That you can look. At. I mean, there's the there's Project Blue Book that you can look at. Uh, that's out there. There's uh, majestic. Yeah, there's, C there's CIA files out there that uh, where the CIA was working with uh, remote viewing, where they had remote viewers uh, project themselves. In, into contact with these uh, UAPs, UFOs, and they reported coming in contact with giant spiritual beings. I mean, one of the episodes that they done was they had a remote viewer project himself onto Mars when they were studying the surface of Mars. And the one of the CIA's remote viewers said that they came across giant Nephilim-type spiritual beings on the surface. Well, that's fascinating. You know, um, so there's like, there's some really good, you know, evidence out there for this type of stuff. You know, not, not just like people making up stories and, you know, uh, that type of thing. 
you know, like there's actual real documentation out there that, that talks about a lot of this stuff. And like I said, you know, there's the stuff that Richie just talked about. And then there's also, you know, some of the stuff that, you know, I just mentioned, um, you know, uh, there's, it's really interesting. I'm actually looking for it right now. Um, I actually ran across a document this week on Marilyn Monroe that she was, <laughs> it was, a. It was from a government archive. It had been declassified by the CIA. Um, I think I found it. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring it up here. Um, no, that, that's not it. Hold on a second. Let me see if I can find it. I mean, in the, even in the grand scheme of the things that our government has been looking into and involved in. Yeah. I mean, really, UFOs and aliens is not even the most sketchy thing they've been looking into. I mean. The CIA and the FBI were heavily involved in psychic warfare and psychic research. Just, I mean, it's like the real life X Files. If anybody's seen the show The X Files, this is it. Yeah. Um. Actually, I just found the the. Uh, so I found this this document this week, um, which was a. Uh, this just goes to show some of the weird stuff you're talking about. Like there is some weird stuff out there. Um. This is a document that I found uh, from uh, it was from the CIA. It's a declassified document, and um, it's dated the third of August, nineteen sixty-two. And the subject on it is Marilyn Monroe, and everybody, I'm sure everybody knows who Marilyn Monroe is. But it's interesting because the re- in, in the reference it says Project Moondust. Um, and then on the bottom corner, it says M12, which connects to the majestic documents that I talked about a few minutes ago. Um, but here's what some of it says. Like this is a CIA document that has been, uh, released to the public, but it talks about, um, wiretapping. It's, it's kind of difficult to read, but you can find it out there in government archives. Um, but it talks about wiretapping, um, uh, Marilyn Monroe's phone. Um, and it talks about the reason why was because of uh, her relations with the Kennedy brothers. So, you know, it's well known, established fact that she was uh, the Kennedy brothers were um, they had relations with Marilyn Monroe, to put it lightly. But it talks about in this letter, I'm going to read it to you. It says Rothberg dis- uh, disclosed the apparent. Um, let me see. Uh, it says redacted, um, yeah, with the subject with the breakup with the Kennedys. Rothberg, uh, Rothberg told Kilgillen, or Kilgarden uh, that she, talking about Marilyn Monroe, was attending Hollywood parties hosted by Inner Circle among Hollywood elite and had began to talk about, uh, had, was becoming the talk of the town again. Rothberg indicated in so many words that she had, quote unquote, secrets to tell. That's interesting. It says, no doubt arising from her tryst with the president and the attorney, attorney general. So that's, that's JFK and his brother, uh, Robert Kennedy. Um, it says one such, uh, thing was the visit by the president at a secret air base for the purpose of inspecting things from outer space. Kilgallen uh, Kilgallen, uh, replied that 
she knew what might be uh, the source of the visit. In the mid fifties, Kill uh, say yeah. In the mid fifties, Kill Gillen uh, learned of secret effort by the U.S. and U.K. governments to identify cra- a, a crashed spacecraft and dead bodies. From Brit- from a British government official, Kilgillen believed the story may have come from Redacted. In the late 40s, Kilgallen said that if the story is true, it would be a terrible embarrassment on Jack and the plans that NASA had to put men on the moon. But it goes down here to talk more about Marilyn Monroe. It says, subject repeat- repeatedly called the attorney general and complained about the way she was being ignored by the president and his brother. Subject threatened to hold a press conference and would tell all. Subject references the uh, references to made references to bases in Cuba and knew of the president's plan to kill Castro subject made references to her diary of secrets and what the newspaper would do with such disclosures disclosures so apparently Marilyn Monroe uh, you know again this comes down to the fact can you trust this document that the government has released or not um like I said, I, I don't know that. Um, but it has been declassified by the government nonetheless. But the interesting thing about this document, Richie, is this. It talks about Project Moondust. It talks about the fact that Marilyn Monroe has knowledge of the president at the time, JFK, um, making a visit to an airbase to look at uh, craft from outer space and it possibly uh, this information getting out there and messing with the president's plan to put men on the moon at this time. Now, that's interesting, but the most interesting part is this. It talks about wiretapping her phones, and then the date is 3 August 1962. Marilyn Monroe died 4 August 1962, the very next day that this letter was written. Wow. Yeah. Fascinating stuff. So. That's absolutely crazy yeah so like i said is this real is this disinformation i i have no clue um but it's out there in the public sphere it connects to some of this stuff that we're talking about and the fact that the government has released some of this stuff and that they have without a doubt been into some weird stuff so um yeah anyway that's uh i don't know if you got anything you want to throw in there or add to that but Interesting. Yeah, I mean, just the more you think about it, your your mind gets going down these rabbit holes. Of, I mean, what if it is a, uh, the entire thing is a disinformation campaign? Yeah. But I mean, where else would be a, the best place to hide information like that if not in plain sight, just right there under the people's noses? Well, you know, the thing is that's that's I, I noticed about a lot of this documentation is a. Random, hold on a second. Random documentation, you know that kind of stuff. You know, it's um, it's very difficult to like it. Like most people don't have the patience to sit and to cipher through a lot of that stuff. You know what I mean? So if 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 they really wanted to hide something in, you know, broad daylight, right there in front of everybody, it's a great way to do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. the majority of the people 
are going to not do it, not, not search it out, number one. And then whenever people do start doing it and just talking about it, it falls back into what we were talking about with the taboo stuff. Like, yeah. okay. So like in the batch with the crazies. Right. I mean, like the government wiretapped Marilyn Monroe because she knew about aliens and she died. To, come on. Who's going to believe that? Well, you know, like. That yeah, goes back into what you were saying about intentionally making the subject taboo. That's right. That's exactly what I'm saying. Like, it's, it's really genius, you know, like it's, it's really, really genius. So like, yeah, it all kind of goes together. So like I said, could be disinformation. I I have no clue, but nonetheless, that is a document that has been released by the United States government and has been declassified. And it does tie into all of this stuff. And it does go to prove the point that I'm trying to make here. The pro- the point that I'm trying to make is there is real evidence out there from our government that there are there is space there is craft from outer space there um, really is UAP out there that cannot be explained and people don't know what to do with that <laughs> and we're saying that well here is an option. This is something that you, this is a way that you can interpret it biblically through the biblical worldview. And yeah, this is our real disclosure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's our official take. That's the official take on the disclosure. So, um, well, I don't have anything else to add. You got anything else you want to add before we sign off on this episode? All right. Well, guys, we hope that you enjoyed this episode. It's going to be really hard for me to not release the entirety of this episode because I felt like that the, the the uh, uncut content was really really yeah, that's exactly what i was thinking as we were recording the uncut part yeah. i was like wow yeah honestly uh, you know might give this one away might give this one away for free just because i feel like that there's some things that really tied into this episode that was really really important and uh so i don't know we might give this entire episode we might i'll tell you what we might do we might just drop this one on uh patreon first let people who who are patrons listen to it first. Give them the, give it to them first, and then maybe yeah. release it to the public, the, the the full episode after that. So, um, but anyway, I felt like that there was a lot of good content here. Felt like that we, um, you know, did a did a good job showing the patterns of spiritual beings, then connecting it to UFO phenomena. And then I felt like that uh, the stuff that we talked about in the uncut version was also really, really good as well. So I don't have anything else to add. So if you don't have anything else either, then we'll see you guys next week with the uh, Chinwag edition of the Sword and Staff. And then after that, we'll be back with our episode on cryptids and how that all connects to this as well. So you definitely want to tune in over the next couple of weeks. So Richie, you got anything else? I'm Last Last chance. Uh, I'm I'm good. I think we covered a lot of it and I'm happy with it. All right. Well, guys, we'll see you guys next week. See you then.